Please join me in Ephesians chapter number 3 as we continue our look at this letter of Paul written during the tail end of his time in Roman detention awaiting his imperial review. And uh, I think probably we're talking about the early months of the year 63 as the proper date for this book. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul continues with this idea that there's not supposed to be some dividing between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, that they are actually part of the same group. They are one in Christ Jesus. And I think we really need to emphasize this because there are too many people out there that try to draw this distinction between uh, the Israel of God, which is saved one way, and the New Testament church that is saved a different way. And that is not the case. And the book of Ephesians is one of the places to go to to demonstrate that so clearly. The people of the Old Covenant were saved by faith, just like the people of the New Covenant are saved by faith. The distinction is that the people in the New Covenant era have a better grasp of exactly how that salvation took place. Uh, the Old Covenant people, they put their faith in the Word of God that He would save them if they would just trust him. Whereas we, living in the New Testament era, we know the rest of the story, that Jesus was the seed of Eve, the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the seed of David, who died for our sins, and rose again for our justification. So we're all saved by Jesus, Old and New Covenant. And so Paul wants his readers, who are ethnically Jews and Gentiles, to understand that they should not think of that as some sort of spiritual division. Because Jesus broke down that barrier wall already when he died at the cross and rose from the grave. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 1. For this reason, that is for all the things he was just writing about, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, and the word prisoner here, you should think of it as detainee, because remember, he's not sitting in some jail cell. He is actually in his own place that he's paying rent on and uh, paying apparently to have the food prepared and brought in and all of that. Uh, so he is chained to a Roman soldier all the time, uh, but he is just simply awaiting imperial review with the expectation he will be soon released. So he says, I'm the detainee, not of the Roman Empire, but of Christ Jesus. I'm here for the sake of you Gentiles. Uh, because 
He's been preaching the gospel to Gentiles all over the known world during his three missionary journeys. And that got him in trouble with an awful lot of unbelieving Jews at Jerusalem. And they just kept causing trouble until finally Paul appealed to imperial review, which brought him to Rome. And so he says, I'm doing all of this for you Gentiles out there as the apostle to the Gentiles. Verse 2, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Uh, The word stewardship here is the idea of somebody running a household, uh, like the, the major domo of a household. And so Paul was given this role of evangelizing Gentiles. He is, the, he is Christ's apostle to the Gentiles. He says, if you guys will understand it, I'm doing this for you because Jesus told me to do it. Verse 3, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. Uh, mysterion is a Greek word. It's where we get our word mystery from in English. Uh, I know most of us will think about like a, a, a mystery book or a mystery movie or television show. Uh, it's something that has to be solved, right? Well, that's not what the word mysterion uh, originally had in mind. It has in mind information only known to the initiated. And so it's almost better to think of it as top-secret information. And of course, the way top-secret information works is if you don't have a need to know, you don't know. And so the mystery is the gospel in the Old Covenant. Uh, It was encoded in such a way to keep the other side, that would be Satan and his minions, from knowing how God was going to accomplish salvation through Jesus. Because, of course, one of the reasons you keep top secret information is you keep the other side from taking action to stop you from accomplishing your goals. So Satan was kept in the dark, uh, but that also kept things kind of in the dark for a lot of people that would be benefiting from the operation. Because back at that time, in the Old Covenant period, they had no need to know. But as is pretty much the case with top secret information, once the goals are accomplished, often the information is declassified. And it's put out in the open, put in the clear, so that people can appreciate what was done. And so that is what the New Testament is all about. It is the declassification of Old Testament top-secret information. All right, so with that in mind, let's go back and read it again. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation, that is, revealing to me, By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery, the top secret information, even as I wrote before in brief. 
by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. That is, into the top secret Old Testament information about Jesus. Verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So it's been declassified now in the New Testament era. Paul knows about it because Jesus appears to him and gives him revelatory information. He reveals it to him. Uh, the apostles of the Lamb, they've been read in on it as well, very clearly. And they're out there teaching the clear and open gospel of Jesus that used to be encoded in the Old Testament. Prophets are doing it as well. So all of that has been declassified. It is out there in the clear. Verse 6, to be specific. So he really wants to zoom in on one particular aspect of the top secret information from the Old Testament era. To be specific, that the goyim, the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are fellow heirs. That is, they get to inherit salvation too. They are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. That goes back to what he was saying in the last chapter, that Jesus has brought Jews and Gentiles together into one group, one body. And uh, they've become fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there are not Jewish believers and Gentile believers as separate entities. Uh, ethnically, you can talk about that. Uh, you can talk about it uh, sociologically. You can talk about it logistically, uh, that there can be dividing, dividing up within the body of Christ for legitimate reasons. Uh, for example, here in Michiana, uh, we have an awful lot of churches that preach and teach and do Sunday school and all of that in English because that's the majority language of the region. But there's a ton of other people that English is not a comfortable language for them. It's a second language. Sometimes it's not even a, a, a language they can converse or understand things in. So they have their church services. They have their Bible readings, their preaching, their prayers, all of that, their fellowship times in Spanish, or maybe they do it in Chinese, or whatever the local language happens to be for that little community. That's not the problem. Because you see, even though they are meeting in different buildings and they're meeting in different languages, they are still part of the one body of Christ. That's the point that Paul is trying to make here. There's not Jewish and Gentile churches separate from one another and barricaded away from each other. That ended with Jesus dying and rising again. Okay? Uh, so I think one of the best ways I like to express my feelings on this is it's not that the church replaced Israel. That's not a proper way to look at this. 
the church is the legitimate continuation of faithful Israel. And maybe I should even express it better. The faithful church is a continuation of faithful Israel. They are part of the same group. And when I say part, I just mean uh, in time and space. All right. Uh, Verse number seven. Of which, that is that body of Christ, of which I was made a minister, a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Now, he is referencing the fact that from the Damascus experience that he had, road of Damascus experience he had onward, Paul was tapped by Jesus Christ to become the apostle to the Gentiles. And so that's been his job, uh, to make sure that as many Gentiles as possible become grafted in to the tree of faithful Israel, become part of the body of Christ, become part of the church that he's referring to here as being one. Verse 8, to me, the very least of all saints, that's his humility coming out there in the fact that he he had screwed up early on. Remember, he had been combating the gospel. He had been trying to eradicate uh, the New Testament church, uh, and he felt bad about that for the rest of his life. He says, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace, this unmerited favor was given. So he keeps emphasizing the idea that we didn't deserve it. None of us did. I certainly didn't, he said. But Jesus loved me and graced me anyway. And then he graced me to preach to the Gospels the unfathomable riches of Christ. He gave me this responsibility to tell Gentiles about Jesus and how they can be saved and spend eternity with the Creator God. Verse 9, And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages have been hidden in God who created all things. Uh, That administration word there is again the same word uh, about being like a household um, household runner, uh, uh, the major domo thing. So Paul's responsibility was to shine the light of the gospel upon the good news of the Old Testament in such a way that Gentiles could see it and understand it and embrace it so that they could be part of the family of God And, of course, that God is the one who created everything. Verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God, manifold, many-faceted, multicolored, however you want to look at it, it's just all of these different angles that you can look uh, at God's wisdom and learn new things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. 
This passage here is a little bit of an in-your-face sort of thing. Uh, That is, the rulers and the authorities that are currently in the heavenly places seem to be the ones that started the trouble back at the Garden of Eden with Satan and tried to separate humanity in each and every generation from relationship with God. And uh, the gospel was set in place, both the Old Testament mysterious part of it, the the top secret uh, portion of the history, right into the New Testament era when all of that explodes to the forefront. Uh, all of that was done in such a way that the other side loses. You didn't get it done. You couldn't separate those that have faith from God. And so Satan and all these other minions of his uh, for eternity future are going to have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God won. Uh, Verse number 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So this was all part of the plan from eternity past, you know, before the foundation of the earth, before the first sin. God in his eternal wisdom already knew what it was going to take to get people saved. And so he put it all in motion, and it was carried out in Jesus, and then those of us who embraced it, then we have freedom of speech to talk about it, boldness, and we have confidence that we can go to God knowing that our sins have been forgiven. We can approach the throne of grace moment by moment, with confidence, knowing that we are seen as sanctified and holy because of Jesus Christ. Verse number 13. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. So he said, I'm, I'm being detained in Rome right now for my imperial review, And I spent two years here and two years before that at Caesarea in Judea. All of that was for your benefit. I did it in pursuit of preaching and teaching the gospel to everyone, including and especially Gentiles. So I'm doing all of this for your benefit. So don't get all down in the mouth. Don't get all upset and frustrated by the fact that, you know, I can't travel Uh, freely right now, because it's worth it for your sake. Verse 14, and it's for this reason that I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Uh, So everything, everything needs to give glory to God the Father for his master plan of salvation. And all of us get our name. And it's interesting, the name here may be that special name that we get uh, from God the Father. It's mentioned in the book of Revelation. Uh, But the name is somehow tied to him. Verse 16, 
that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. So we get all of this from God. The Holy Spirit, because we've been saved through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. If you do not have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, then you are not saved. You go back to square one and start over again with Jesus. But having been saved in Jesus, we're filled with his Holy Spirit, and that makes us strong. That makes us ready to move forward. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, One of the things that Jesus talked to his apostles about on the night before he went to the cross, he said, because of what I'm doing now, you don't understand it, but because of what I'm doing now, the Holy Spirit is going to come and indwell you. And when he does that, I and the Father will be right there in you, with you. And so we have Jesus in us because we have his Holy Spirit in us. And that is really a big deal. The Old Testament saints did not have that because the atonement had not yet taken place. The Holy Spirit worked with them, but was not in them. So we New Testament saints need to put a premium on this and act accordingly. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. So we're anchored in Christ. We're rooted in Christ. He is the he is the vine. We're the branches. We're connected to him. That's where we get our, our energy, our life force. And we're grounded in love, which, remember, is the first in the list of the nine fruit of the Spirit words. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-controlled. So all of that comes from salvation in Christ and filling with his Holy Spirit. We're now grounded in love. And he says, verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth So we should understand the limitless dimensions of relationship with God. When you are saved by Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, you have this eternal relationship with God the Father. And we should be appreciative of that. Understand that's a really big deal and act accordingly. Verse 19, And... To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So you remember the great commandment, part A, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength. Part B, love your neighbor as yourself. That's that's love. That's the, the law of love. And Jesus expands on that in other passages. He talks about the fact that we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And that instead of hating other people, we should love other people. That instead of cursing other people, we should 
bless and pray for other people. And that instead of doing nasty things in retaliation to our enemies out there, we should actually do good things to those enemies in the hope of being able to redeem those enemies through Jesus Christ's gospel. So that's the love of Christ, and it surpasses knowledge. It goes beyond comprehension. Uh, but once we start getting filled with that sort of, of God presence, it just keeps getting fuller and fuller and overflowing. Uh, Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit once being like uh, waters that are just gushing out of us. We become God's portable uh, spigot of the water of life. And we need to be spraying over all the other people around us with God's love. Verse number 20. Perfect place for a benediction, isn't it? Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Now, when we read through the scripture, we have an appreciation for how big God is, how powerful God is. But the reality, Paul says, is you couldn't even imagine what to ask or think about at the limits of God's ability. And it's all according to the power that works within us. And he's just described that. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit of God the Father, God the Son, living inside of us day by day, moment by moment. That is huge, and that should prompt us to want to do things God's way and ask for things to be God's way. Verse 20, to him be the glory in the church. You know, may God's glory be the church's glory. That's what we ought to be praying for our churches. And in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen is the Jewish way of saying, amen. That's truth. I believe in that. I agree with that. And so Paul has asked us to join forces with understanding we are one in Christ. We are one in the Spirit. We have God indwelling us because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And we all need to act accordingly. And that means that we should be working for unity inside the church between believers. Not dividing up between Jews and Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor, black and white. We all need to be one in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we'll pick up next time we get into God's Word.